Well, good morning, church. So great to be with you all today. And uh, it's a little reminder, this is the last Sunday before Christmas, if you hadn't uh, realized that yet. In five days, Christmas is going to be here. So let me ask you something. I can ask that, uh, uh, I asked this last week, but I can really ask it this week. How many of you have your Christmas shopping all completed? It's totally finished. I know there are still several of you that are probably going to rush out on December 24th and make a mad dash to the store. Let me just say from experience, that's not a good idea, especially speaking to husbands. Let me just give you a little heads up. It's not the greatest idea. Maybe you shouldn't go to Rural King or Farm and Fleet uh, to get your wife a Christmas present. I'll be honest, buying uh, uh, presents isn't my strong suit. Never has. Never has been for sure. I bought my wife, Cheryl, actually a lawnmower for our first anniversary. I know I can hear the awls and the oohs out there. Um, but I bought her this lawnmower, and I'll never forget the look on her face. I never want to uh, remember that look ever again. It was etched upon her face. Uh, some of you husbands know uh, kind of what I'm talking about. That look that sends a chill down your spine actually makes you feel, feel like I could really be in grave danger here. You know what I'm talking about. But let me try to explain myself before you start judging me. My thinking was, well, we need a lawnmower anyway. This is a good lawnmower. It's on sale. Cheryl uses it. She was mowing a lot at the time, and I thought, I'll do her a favor, make it a lot easier for her. And since I have to buy a gift, I'll just tell, kill two birds with one stone. Husbands, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that because we will just say it was rather icy in our home for a while after that. But when it comes to a gift, getting a perfect gift actually means you put some time and you put some thought into that gift. And getting a perfect gift doesn't mean it has to be an expensive gift because think about it, the real value of that gift is the thought and time that went into that gift. That's a thought that I want to really drill down on today. But I'm like you, I've received gifts that I probably could have received an Academy Award for my acting ability when I got something that I really didn't like or I really didn't want, but I acted like it was the greatest thing in the world. You know what I mean? It's like when your friend maybe buys you a coffee maker and you don't drink coffee, you've never drank coffee, you're never going to drink coffee in your life, but you act like it's the greatest thing going. But the whole time you're acting like it's so great, you're thinking, I hope that receipt's in here because this baby is going back. I'm going to return it. Or maybe it's like you teenagers when uh, your grandma made you that sweater. It's like, Grandma, you really shouldn't have. I mean, literally, Grandma, you really shouldn't have. We've all been there. Amen? But today I want to talk about God's perfect gift that He not only gave to you and me, but He gave to this entire world. I think in a large way, in a big way, we have become desensitized to the whole Christmas story. Maybe it's because you've heard so many sermons on the Christmas story. Maybe it's that you've heard so many stories in your Sunday school classes or you've seen so many TV shows or read so many books about the Christmas story that all we tend to do sometimes is concentrate on the manger. We concentrate on the wise men. We uh, think about that uh, there's no room at the inn. And sometimes we have a tendency, I'd say a lot of times, we really overlook the real why. The real why of Christmas. Well, I'm going to start out reading in, uh, from Matthew chapter 1 today. And the title over this uh, part of scripture in my Bible is the birth of Jesus the Messiah. I want to pick it up in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Listen to what it says. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Let me stop right there because Jesus absolutely came to save the people from their sin. But here's the thing. The whole idea to have Jesus come to this earth, come from heaven, come to earth, was in the planning stages long before the foundations of this world were ever laid. God knew that we would need saving. God knew that we would need a Savior. He knew that we would need a Savior that was 100% absolutely sinless, without sin, that would take our sins upon Himself. I said that to say this. Jesus was not at all a last-minute gift. Jesus was not at all a last-minute thought in God's mind. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the set time had fully come, the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. All that's really saying is God put a lot of time and a lot of thought into this perfect gift. And of gifts, this gift of Jesus was the most perfect gift ever given, something that we desperately needed. I heard this statement made one time. It says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 kind of explains this. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? With that in mind, every one of us entered into this world. We were born into this world with a sin nature. I remember years ago, I had this one particular car that was out of alignment. And when I would be driving down the road, it had this terrible pull to the left. I mean, I'd be okay as long as I had both uh, hands on the wheel. I could go in a pretty straight line down the road. But if I would take my hands off of the wheel, that thing would pull toward the left really hard. When I think about that and hook it up spiritually, I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's exactly how our lives are spiritually sometimes. We have, and we're born with, this terrible pull towards sin. This terrible bent towards sin. We have a sin nature that was put in us from the beginning since the time we were born. It really doesn't matter how religious you are. You've got it. doesn't matter how many scriptures you've memorized in Sunday school. We all have this sin nature that really starts all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam himself. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter how educated or not educated you are. It really doesn't matter who your parents were because really our hearts are all the same. They started out all the same. Max Lucado is one of the greatest uh, Christian authors ever. Amazingly, he's written over 96 books, some children's books, some a young adult book, some for adults. Uh, he's a, a very popular Christian conference speaker. He's actually an assistant pastor to a church and even has three uh, different Bibles that he's written the commentaries for. So this guy is a very busy guy. Um, but when you look at his picture, he just has this loving and mild demeanor. I mean, you can feel it in his writings, in his books. You can hear it in his sermons. He comes across being so Christ-like. 
But I want to read an excerpt from one of his books called Because of Bethlehem. I brought the copy of the book with me today. Um, this would be a great uh, stocking stuffer, a great uh, present, guys. Hint to the husbands to get your wife to put under the Christmas tree. But it's called Because of Bethlehem. But he writes on page 23. Listen to this story. He says, I tried to blame my behavior on the holiday traffic. The Thanksgiving weekend had turned the streets near the shopping mall into controlled chaos. I tried to blame my misdeeds on my state of mind. I was driving to my in-law's house, having spent most of the day helping to plan a funeral for my wife, Dina Lynn's ever-weakening mother. I tried to blame my poor reaction on the reckless U-turn made by a teenager. He nearly clipped my bumper. The traffic arrow invited me to make a right turn into the busy avenue, and as I did, the teenager made a sudden, unexpected hairpin turn around the median. We nearly shared paint. I honked at him, and I'll confess, my honk wasn't a polite, uh, excuse me, I'm over here honk. It was a long and strong honk and demanded, do you know what, I, what you almost did? He drove a low-riding, wide-wheeled, two-toned, exhaust-puffing jalopy that dated back to the 80s. It needed a muffler. It also needed a more mature passenger. As the car accelerated, a long arm came out of the passenger side window and gave me a backhanded one-finger wave. Lucato said, I growled a little bit and I sped up. Thanks to a traffic light, I was soon side-by-side -side with the perpetrator. He still had his window down. I lowered mine. He looked up at me. He wore a baseball cap shoved over a mop of black hair. The brim of the cap faced sideways. So did the smirk on his face. You need to watch that wave, son, I said. In an ideal world, he would have apologized, and I would have wished him a Merry Christmas, and I wouldn't be telling this story. But the world is not ideal. When I told him to watch that wave, he smirked even more and demanded, Make me. Make me. When was the last time I heard someone say, make me? Was it in middle school? Was it back in high school in the locker room? There was that scuffle after the graduation party. Make me. That's what teenagers say. But of course, he was a teenager. He didn't have a whisker on him. He was a skinny, floppy-haired, testosterone-laden adolescent who was feeling his oats riding shotgun in his buddy's muscle car. As for me, I'm a 60-year-old pastor who writes Christian books and speaks at conferences and feels a call to make the world a better place. I should have raised my window, but I didn't. I looked down at him literally and metaphorically and said with my own version of a smirk, Now what did you say? Make me, he repeated. The saints in heaven were saying, Drive away, Lucado. Common sense was urging me, drive away, Lucado. The better angels of the universe were prompting, drive away, Lucado. I didn't listen. The dare of that punk activated the punk inside me. The punk I hadn't seen in decades. I snarled, okay, where do you want to go? His eyes widened to the size of hamburger patties. He couldn't believe I said that. I couldn't believe I said that. You can't believe I said that. When he realized I was serious, he became the same. Let's settle this at the shopping mall. Are you kidding me, I told him. There are too many people in a shopping mall. Follow me. What? All of a sudden, I was the perfect expert on where to go to duke it out. The light turned and I accelerated. And in my side view mirror, 
I could see that the two boys were engaged in a heated exchange, probably saying, what do you think? I don't know. What do you think? He looks pretty cranky. Yeah, he might have a weapon or something. By the time I reached the next stoplight, they were nowhere to be seen. They must have turned into the parking lot. Boy, was I relieved. I drove the rest of the way to my in-law's house, asking myself, did you really just dare a kid to fight? Are you crazy? I'd like to blame my behavior on my state of mind, the stress of the traffic, the driver who nearly hit my car, or the passenger who pushed my buttons. But I can blame my bizarre behavior on only one thing, the punk inside me. For a few minutes at that stoplight near a shopping mall, I forgot who I was. And I forgot who the teenager was. In that heated moment, he wasn't someone's son. He wasn't a creation of God. He wasn't a miracle. He wasn't fearfully and wonderfully made. He was a disrespectful jerk, and I let him bring out the disrespectful jerk in me. The Bible has a name for this punkish tendency. It's sin. The sinful nature, he says, is the stubborn, self-centered attitude that says, my way or the highway. The sinful nature is all about self, pleasing self, promoting self, preserving self. Sin is selfish. He says, I have a sinful nature, and so do you. Lucado says, if we're all honest with each other today, we all have a punkish side to us. We all have a sinful nature. With that said, let me say this. Every person is born in this world sin positive. Did you catch that? Every person ever born in this world was born sin positive. We were born infected with something called sin. Once someone asked me what I meant when I said I was saved. Saved from what, they thought. My answer was pretty simple. Saved from myself. You realize that's why Jesus came in, this, in the first place to this earth, to save us from ourselves? We all have a heart problem. And because we have a heart problem, we need a Savior. And that's why we need Jesus so much in this world that we live. I've had people say to me, well, I'm a good person. Why do I need Jesus? The problem is our standards are low. God's standards are high. And the truth is, none of us could ever be good enough. Never, ever be good enough, no matter what we do, to qualify for heaven. Remember the scripture? It says our hearts, all of our hearts, are the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. But glory to God, Jesus came to fix all of that. He came to fix all of that. He didn't just come to forgive our sins. He came to deliver us from our sins. He came to deliver us from sin's power. He came to break every chain of sin's power over our lives. Several weeks ago, if you've... Uh, uh, been watching these, uh, this, this series, we talked about how the Christmas story actually began all the way back in the beginning. It, already be it really began all the way back in the book of Genesis where we talked about Adam's sin and how that all began this plan to save us from our sin nature. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died, from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. 
But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God, God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many, many sins. I love this. Because the Apostle Paul, when it comes down to it, he's spelling out the differences between what Adam did and what Jesus did. Think for a minute the difference. Adam sinned, Jesus saved. When Adam did what he did, many died. When Jesus did what he did, many could now live. Not just today, but eternally. What Adam did brought bondage. What Jesus did brought freedom. Absolute freedom. Adam disobeyed God, his creator. Jesus obeyed God, his father. Adam sinned and people were declared unrighteous. Jesus paid the price. He gave the gift of his own life and people can now, so that people can now be declared as righteous. Not because of who we are, but because of what he's done and who he is. So there's a huge difference between what Adam did and what Jesus did. Before Adam sinned in that perfect place, in that perfect garden, God basically gave him full reign of the garden. He said, Adam, you can do what you want to do. You can go where you want to go. You can eat what you want to eat. Just don't eat of that one tree in the center of the garden. Don't touch that one. Because in the day that you eat of that fruit, that will be the day that you surely will die. If you know the story, the enemy comes along, Satan comes along. Uh, he says, well, Adam, that's not true at all. Actually, you can eat all that fruit you want, and it'll just open your eyes, and you'll all of a sudden be like God. Satan always twists things. Listen, that's what sin will always tell you. Sin will always overpromise, but underdeliver every time. Overpromise, underdeliver. Sin will tell you, hey, it's okay to do this, this, this thing just this one time. It won't hurt anything. We think, well, okay, I'll do that and I'll be satisfied. The truth is, nothing in this world can ever satisfy except God. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Each person, everyone born in this world was born with a yearning for something better, something bigger, something greater, something more. And it's a God-sized void that we all have in our hearts, in our lives. And if we don't fill it with God, we're going to be filling it with something else. But I guarantee you, that something else will never, ever, ever satisfy. You might start drinking more to take care of the problem. You might start looking at things you shouldn't look at. And the more you do it, the more unsatisfied or dissatisfied you become. Because it's never going to fill you up. Never even going to begin to really fill you up. I will say this, I think we live in a world where it's pretty easy to look around and say, you know, after thousands of years, why is this world still the way it is? And who should we blame for that? Think about it. We'd all have to admit we live in an angry world. We live in a world with wars, with anger, with hatred. We live in a world where people are doing mean things to other people. But you might think after all the advancements we've made in civilization, all the education that we have, haven't we got it right yet? No. And we're never ever going to get it right by ourselves. And you might say, well, why is that? And who can I blame? You know, some say, well, it's the fault of the liberal media. 
Some say it's the fault of the Republican Party. No, it's the fault of the Democrat Party. No, it's a, a white issue or a black issue. Might surprise you, but it's none of those issues at all. It's a sin issue. It's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. It's as simple as that. And it's deep within each one of us. But the good news of the gift of Jesus is that we can be forgiven. Do you realize that through Jesus' forgiveness, His grace and His love for us, we can have a do-over. We actually are given a second chance. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to God for all of the second chances He's given me, for the do-overs He's given me, for the forgiveness of things that I don't deserve to be forgiven of. He provided that forgiveness. But what Adam did was really mess up God's creation when it came to man. But Jesus came to reverse all of that. I remember as a kid, I would, uh, my dad took me fishing a lot. We'd go down to this one particular lake, and dad liked to get on the water early in the morning, so we'd start before sun up. And I remember getting down to this uh, uh, lake one morning, and dad was getting the boat ready, and I was just standing beside the lake, and it was such a beautiful morning. No one else was around, no one else was on the lake. It was calm, the water was so smooth it looked like glass. You could see the reflection of the trees, it looked like a mirror, uh, uh, that... Uh, lake just looked so smooth and like a mirror that you could see all the reflection of everything around. And I thought, well, what could mess this up? Well, I reached down and I picked up a stone, a smooth stone, a flat stone. And I thought, I'll just see how many skips I can get out of this rock. And I gave that rock a fling and it skipped and it skipped and it skipped. But not only did it skip, it actually messed up the reflection. And the lake was now all of a sudden full of ripples. I use that example to say I think that's the exact same thing that Adam did years ago in that garden. When he threw that rock of sin into this world, he actually destroyed the reflection of God and the image that God had designed into man. Then Jesus comes along sometime later after that rock has been thrown. Basically, Jesus says, hey, I'll take the hit. That rock can be thrown at me. In fact, that rock can kill me. Jesus says, because what I'm going to do in the act of taking the penalty of what Adam did and what the whole human race has done, is I'm going to correct that that's been messed up. I'm going to fix what's been messed up. He said, I'm going to put the image of God back in its place once again in man. I'm going to make that person right side up that used to be upside down. Jesus basically says, I'm going to smooth things out. So one man messed things up. That was Adam. One man restored God's image. That's Jesus. Jesus came to save every one of us, this entire world, from our sins. Somebody once said this, that you can tell the depth of a well by how much rope is lowered. You can tell the depth of God's love by how much rope was lowered for you and me. He sent His Son all the way from heaven, wrapped in the simple package of a human being, a little tiny baby, he lowered that rope down into the bucket of our world so that we might be saved. If you've ever doubted the love of God, I want to remind you to go back to that scripture that most of us have memorized. We heard it in Sunday school. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. Stress the so loved part. For God so loved the world. And in fact, take that uh, word world out of there and put your name in the blank. For God so loved Wayne. For God so loved Cheryl. 
for God so loved Bob, for God so loved Susan, just put your name in that space. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved this world because that's who He is. That's His essence. God is love. That's at the very core of His nature. The Bible says God is love. That's hard for any of our minds to grasp, just how much He loves us. Even the Apostle John, it blew his mind when he experienced the love of God. He even said these words, Behold, what manner of love is this? John said, What kind of love is this? It's so different. God's love absolutely is so much different than our love. And why does God love you and me? It's really pretty simple. It's just because. Because that's His nature. He loves us with a love that we cannot even imagine. And that love has never shone brighter than when He sent Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, into this earth. If you never accepted this gift that Jesus is giving of His love and His salvation, today's the day. And it's so simple. And Jesus is waiting. So if God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is tugging on your heart today that, that you need to make right, things right with God, with Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to lead you through a simple prayer, and then I'll close with another part of the prayer. But I want to give you the opportunity to invite Him into your heart, into your life to be Lord and Savior. Could you bow your hearts right there where you are at home? Could you repeat this prayer with me? Lord, I know that I've missed the mark. I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that, and I'm sorry, Lord. I believe that Jesus was born, and I believe that He died. And I believe that He rose again. And in doing so, He paid the penalty for my sin. And I turn from that life, and I turn to You as my Lord and my Savior. I want to live for You. Lord, forgive me. Receive me. And help me to live for You in Jesus' name. And Lord God, we thank You for Jesus today. The greatest gift ever given. Father, I pray you would help us to treasure this gift in our hearts each and every day and help us to share the light and love and the gift of Jesus Christ with the world around us today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone said, Amen. God bless you all and have a wonderful Merry Christmas. See you next week. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Lord.